Welcome to episode 360 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I am Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. The sky comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. It's finally happens where we have one podcast for every degree. Isn't that incredible? 360. We're getting close. We need to celebrate in five episodes because to me, at least the five episode mark from here, the 365 is in some ways special, not like regulative principle of podcasting special, but special in that finally somebody who just discovers the podcast could listen to every episode one day for each episode. And it would take a whole year to get to the back catalog. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a crazy statistic, I guess. Isn't it? That's just what I'm thinking. We know we've had brothers, sisters, listeners who have found the podcast at some points in the catalog as we've been putting everything together and have said, you know what? I made the commitment to go through and listen. And they get to a point where they catch up and then they say, I won't have you guys in my ears yeah. for every commute every day. And I'm just thinking, wow, if you come along in just five weeks, you'll find that you could spend a whole year one episode per day listening to us. And that's how long it would take at that pace. That's blistering speed. And yet it would still take a whole year. Yeah. What would be interesting for someone to do, I'm not, I don't want to put anyone through this because I think the first like several episodes are pretty terrible, but it'd be interesting to listen to the podcast starting from the beginning, because there's like a certain point where the podcast becomes what it is now. Like there's a, there's a pretty clear transition point it's not even all that gradual. I'm pretty sure like we, we started a few <laughs> things all at the same time that became standard fare for the podcast. It'd be interesting to figure out where that happened, which episode that was. I want to say it was probably in like the, like the fifties is my guess. Just a, there's no evidence for that. It's just a guess of, of when it happened, but yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll you know, someone will ask a question about something and I'll be like, we had an episode on that and I'll go back and find it. And it's like an episode that was in the like double digits. Like, I think, I think the Lordship Salvation episode that we did, which people still regularly reference, it was in the, it was in the double digits. I want to say it was in the the seventies. So there's a lot of those old podcasts that are still getting a lot of traction. So yeah, if you, if you want to take the Reform Brotherhood challenge, you could do that in five episodes. You can listen to one every day for a year. Please, please don't do that. There are better things to do with your time than listen to our, <laughs> our voices that much. But uh, if you are a glutton for punishment, you do that. Please let us know. And of course, by way of years, this podcast is making its way into kindergarten, which is hard to believe. I know. That's crazy. Or, or finally sending it off to school, like full day. That's true. They grow up so fast. They do. And we're going <laughs> to need like a first day of school picture. So. Yeah. Speaking of growing up so fast, we're going to be talking a little bit more on this episode about prayer. And just as like a reminder of where we started in this whole thing, we've took the summer to really spend a lot of time going through the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, the prayer that Jesus gives us, his disciples, by way of instruction, both generally and specifically. But we started that because we're still in this grand arc of looking at theology, this massive theological series. And I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that why we're talking about private prayers for for lots of reasons, the least of which is not that the most eminent saints have always engaged in private prayer, that Christ our Lord, of course, engaged in secret or private prayer, that this kind of private prayer distinguishes sincerity from hypocrisy, 
that God manifests himself in secret. And all this is to say, sometimes in the Reformed tradition, we tend to overweight study and metabolizing the scripture, which of course I'm not saying is a bad thing, but we sometimes underweight practice. And in terms of spiritual discipline, when we look back to the past, we look to our forefathers, what we see is a profound influence and commitment and a hegemony to prayer. And so I think oftentimes we confuse ourselves into thinking that we're growing in Christ or to grow in Christ is to always go recklessly headlong into studying and to sort of process more information, oftentimes without practice. And really the opposite may be true, which is we, in order to have that kind of effective study is really to have prayed well first. And that some would even argue that God doesn't even answer or address or come alongside our public prayers unless we have a deep private prayer life as well. That's somewhat controversial, but I say that to not be inflammatory, but to again, emphasize this point that it's worth talking about private prayer and God gives us all kinds of instruction on private prayer. So we're combing through some of the scriptures and looking at these prayers that are replete in the Bible based on how we've understood the Lord's prayer all this summer. So we're going to get to that. and We're going to continue our conversation where we started last week, which you should go to episode 359, where we started in John 17, the so-called high priestly prayer of Jesus. We're going to pick it up. We're going to conclude that and we're going to see how it goes. But before we even get to that, it's that time. It's everybody's favorite time besides prayer time. And that is affirmations and denials. I figured let's end on a crescendo. So let's start with denying. What are you denying against? This is going to sound strange to people who've listened to our show. Uh, I'm denying wearing masks, face masks, and in a particular way, right? So Everybody's heard in the news, COVID is circulating again. We shouldn't be surprised. This is how this is how coronaviruses work, right? They become endemic and they have a seasonality to them. Um, right. Th- this particular breed, strain, variant, whatever they're calling it these days, not any more dangerous. In fact, it seems like it's far less dangerous than previous strains. I don't want to get into all that. Uh, because this is happening, there are all sorts of places that are either toying around with mask mandates, they're recommending masks. I'm also seeing people who are just sort of of their own volition wearing masks. Now, all of that's fine, whatever. I don't want to comment on mandatory masks. I don't want to comment on suggested masks. And if people want to put masks on of their own volition, that's that's their prerogative. What I do think is just manifestly stupid is I saw a guy today at the grocery store who was wearing a mask down around his chin. So like when it was mandatory or when it was like, like societally mandatory. Okay. I guess I get it. You wear the mask, you forget to put it on, whatever. But like when you don't have to wear your mask and when nobody around you is wearing your mask and you choose to put it on and then you choose to put it on wrong. that's just weird and dumb. Like, just don't do that. So I I don't have any more to say about it. I just saw that. I was like, I'm going to deny that today. I'm denying wearing masks the wrong way. Just just put it over your nose and mouth if you want to wear it. It's a certain type of technology, of course. It might seem simplistic, but I think we talked about that even at the height of COVID, yeah. where you'd see such strange applications of the mask where somebody would be wearing it around the mouth but not covering the nose. Yeah. And, and you just be like, well, this is this is like not even right. It's not even wrong. It's like halfway. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that is pretty funny. So you're saying that somebody had it like around both their ears. The elastic yeah. was there, but you're just wearing it like a beard, like a chin strap. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he had like lice and he was like beard lice. and was trying to keep him in or something. But I mean, so, so there's a lot of disagreement about whether masks work. Some people say they do. Some people say they don't. There's 
some evidence that suggests they're not effective. There's some evidence that suggests they are effective. But right. one thing that everybody can agree on is that <laughs> if you wear your mask around your chin, it definitely does not do anything to help you either from breathing in virus particles or from breathing them out. So if you choose to wear a mask, which I got no, I got no beef with that. If you want to wear, if you want to wear a mask, cause it's a fashion statement, I don't For care sure. why you want to wear a mask, but the one thing you can't do is wear it around your chin and say that it's doing anything. I suppose you could wear it as a fashion statement. Maybe this guy was making a statement that masks don't do it. I don't, I think he just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not even like he was, had it on and then pulled it down and forgot to put it back up. Like I saw him put it on his face around his chin. I watched him strap it onto his chin. I just do not understand why someone would do that. It doesn't make any sense. Just avant-garde. That's yeah, all it is. It's true. Make I'm going with the chin lice theory. I like that. Have you ever had to, this is random, but now we're on the topic. Have you ever had to wear a hairnet for your beard on your beard? Uh, no. The one time I probably would have had to was when I uh, observed a kidney transplant, but I just shaved instead. So. Well, that was kind of you. Well, I didn't want to wear a hairnet on my chin. <laughs> so. Fair enough. It's not comfortable and it's a weird feeling, yeah, especially when you got the double going on. One up top, one down below. You just got like a hairnet sandwich. Yeah, that sounds disgusting. I just threw yeah. it in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> it's also not fun when you're in a place. Uh, the only time I've done this, I had to wear it, was when I was helping out at a food pantry. And it's never fun to be called out. You know, like the person leading the volunteers going around. He's like, oh, yeah, you over there. The end. Yeah, you're going to need to put something on that. He's pointing to like the beard. <laughs> You're like, wah, wah, wah. yeah, then you kind of, you kind of feel like a jerk anyway, because you're like, yeah, I'm the one that came in here with all this facial hair just to throw it all over the food. Yeah. So definitely let me get a hairnet on this bad boy. That's, that's disgusting. Well, let's, let's do a palate cleanser here. What are you denying? We're in denials, right? Denying. What are you denying? Yeah, this might be a palate cleanser. Pretty simple in its premise. Of course, we could talk about this for the entire episode, so we'll have to make sure that we don't, but my denial is I'm denying against not uh, knowing the sacraments well. And this is kind of a denial that I'm pointing my, to myself. I just think, again, how important it is to really thoroughly understand. And I'm going to do the Protestant sacraments or ordinances, if you prefer those words, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but really understanding these things. Like, I think it's worth the Christian's time and effort to understand these gifts that Christ has given us. We've done episodes on them before. There's somewhere in the back catalog, you'll find them between like episode one and 360. <laughs> and I just think though, that we sometimes, it's easy to go through the routine. It's easy to think, you know, things we do for God and it's easy not to see them as gifts. And I think it's easy to say like, what well, else is there to know? There's bread and wine. There's getting dunked. There's being sprinkled. What else do we need to know? I just think it's worth like understanding the things that we do and why sometimes they get kind of couched as Christian traditions. And so I'd love to see pastors more do series on these. I'd love myself to receive more teaching so that when the time comes, whatever is your frequency of honoring these things, that we're like fully invested in them, both like heart and mind. So I'm just denying against a tendency for us to kind of just go with the flow in those things and not want to spend even our own time researching, understanding, reading, processing, praying through, asking for enlightenment on those things because they're just amazing gifts that God gives us to do. And I sense that for many of us, including myself, that we really haven't even begun to understand how beautiful and special they are. Yeah. If you are looking for the episodes, uh, you are looking at episode 208, the first 
episode in a series that we did was titled Ordinary Means. Um, we did a handful of episodes on the Lord's Supper, particularly um, talking about the different views that are present in uh, the Christian family, I guess you want to call it. Um, and then we did a, a question cast. We haven't done a question cast in a long time. Yeah, that's true. We should get um, on that. But we did a question cast. We answered a couple of people's questions. So that's a good place to start if you're looking to just get an idea of the sort of breadth of views. Um, and we, you know, we we made clear what things we thought were commendable and what things were problematic. Um, we've done a couple episodes on baptism. You should be able to find those uh, in the back catalog. Um, but you really can't beat, I mean, you can't beat the, like, the Reformed Confessions on this. Like they really are super clear, super crisp. Um, Chad Van Dixhorn has a book called Confessing the Faith, which is his commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, If you're looking for a good good primer on the uh, Presbyterian understanding of the the sacraments, um, that's a good place to start. But I, I think you're totally right. I think a lot of people just don't understand what a sacrament is. They don't understand why we have to be really careful not to use sacramental language in reference to other things. Um, You know, people will talk about, sometimes we'll talk about marriage as though it was a sacrament, even though they would deny that it is. They use language that's very similar to how we speak about sacraments. Um, And it's easy to understand why we do that, right? The Bible, the Bible assigns a kind of, a kind of signification to marriage that is actually similar in some ways to the way it talks about sacraments, but it's, it's not a sacrament. So we have to be very right. cautious how we apply that language. And then in the, on the flip side, we often apply language to the sacraments themselves that almost implicitly reject that they're sacraments. Yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think that's an area that a lot of Christians would do well to, uh, to study a bit more. And of course, if you have something that allows you to search, whether that's like olive tree or a logos, of course, go to the scriptures search through, read a lot, pray through those passages, seek God's understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into your own life about their importance and their purpose. That itself is worth the kind of study, of course. So just maybe a a general recommendation or recommendation to go ahead and take a look at those things so that when it happens on the Lord's day, when it happens in service, when it happens in community, you're prepared to engage those things in a very special way and to understand them, to have your own convictions about them, but also maybe a sport, especially and importantly, to know what your own convictions are as they comport yeah. with scripture. Yeah. So that you can participate those and have great conversation, robust conversation about them. So that's, that's my little denial. I think we, I come back to that from time to time, but I think maybe in fairness, it's because I always feel ill-equipped to really want to appreciate them. And yet I know they're, they're so important. So yeah. let's move on. Let's do some affirmations. Let's make it happy and positive. What are you affirming with? So I, not only did I see some bozo at the uh, grocery store today who was wearing a mask around his chin, I also saw what may be the most interesting person in the Upper Valley of New Hampshire. Uh, (laughs) This dude was just doing his grocery shopping, like wearing a full on kilt. Like, like, I think he must have been going to some sort of event because he had like the kilt. He had the little like. I don't know what it is, but it's like the belt with the little like round sack on it. He had like the socks. I mean, he he was all he was he was on point. And what it made me want to affirm is self-expression and not in like that weird, cheesy, like you can be what you want to be. But like this dude just legitimately did not care that he was getting all sorts of crazy looks. And so here's what I would like to suggest for our listeners. I did this recently. And I actually am really enjoying it. Um, so 
Have you heard of Stitch Fix? Yes. So Stitch Fix is a service that allows you to basically you go through a questionnaire. You talk about like what you what kinds of things you wear. You provide your sizes. They show you some pictures of clothing and say like, would you wear this? Would you not wear this? And then you can, if you've never signed up for Stitch Fix, you can get your first custom stylized box for free. Now, Stitch Fix clothing, although I'm sure it's very good quality, it is ridiculously expensive. So I am not yeah. advocating that you purchase this. Like you can buy whatever you want. If you, if you want to do Stitch Fix and buy the clothes, you can. But what I'm saying specifically is you can get this first kit free of charge. You can see the clothing and then you can just send it back. And what I did, maybe this is not how they intend to use the, how you to use the products. Once you've done that, you've got an account and they will show you stuff and you can go through and continue to do that. And what I'm doing now is I'm taking their suggestions for styles, clothing, things like that. And I'm just go buying it somewhere else where it's less expensive. And this is very, this is going to sound very strange, but I feel like I'm actually dressing like an adult now because like I used to just wear like khaki pants and sneakers and like a like a like a button up shirt that didn't fit very well. And now I'm actually like buying clothing that fits right. I have like non they're not dress shoes. Like in my mind there was two categories. It was like dress shoes and there was like athletic running shoes. And I chose the running shoes because I walk around at work a lot. My my job I have to walk between units and sections and stuff. Instead now I've got some like like dress they're not dressed but they're like fashion sneakers that are comfortable to walk a little bit in i'm not going to go running and i'm not going to go like walk five miles in them but i can walk from one one department to the other so i would say this is something anyone could do and then this is the other cool thing if you buy something on amazon that you like that's a style of some sort it's categorized as fashion they basically do the same thing for you they will show you other things that people are selling that quote unquote match or go with uh the the items you've bought and I just, I don't know, this is going to, this may seem like a weird uh, affirmation for me. I'm really just enjoying like actually dressing like an adult, like dressing in a way that isn't just like the same, like plain dress shirt with a tie that maybe has a pattern on it and black pants right. or khaki pants. Like I'm having a lot of fun just like sort of developing my own style. And this is where Stitch Fix comes in. Every time they start a new line, I get an email and I go in and I can say like, yeah, I like this. I want with this. I don't like this. I don't like that. And they're actually building a style profile for me of things that I like. And now I'm colorblind. So they're telling me what colors that go, go together. They're helping me understand that stuff. So yeah, check it out. You can do it for free. If you've never had a Stitch Fix account, um, you answer a pretty quick questionnaire. One bit of warning. They only give you three days from when you receive your first, your box to when you have to send it back. So make sure you don't dilly dally. Cause that's, that stuff is expensive. It's expensive clothing. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, but look at you, like getting all fancy with style. I like that though. There's something, especially if you work, depending where you work, what your environment is like, there is something about how we present ourselves. Yeah. So like having clothes that fit, I know that was a big help for me when I got married. My wife, it looks awkward and you're swimming in it. And sometimes that still happens. Yeah. So it's good if you don't have a spouse, here's a quick way to get involved. But I think your point also is, this idea maybe of being exposed to like different things that yeah. you might not normally know that you'd be interested in wearing. And so it's nice. And then beyond that, like if you like big sunglasses, if you like kilts, like if that's your jam, 
then just wear them and be like, this is me and I like it. Yeah, what I wanna what I wanna figure out is how do I get Stitch Fix to start suggesting kilts for me? I think that would be pretty epic. Yeah, I don't know. And here's the thing. Like, I, it's funny you talk about uh, kilts because I was reading an article about King Charles this week. It was kind of like a review of his first year as king and how he is more surprisingly beloved than people, really commentators thought he would be after this first year. And it was talking about his uh, visit throughout the United Kingdom. And it just so happened the image that of him like shaking hands and speaking and telling jokes and laughing at people was him in like the dress kilt style. Yeah. And again, for those of us that are in the colonies, we find that to be like a kind of strange juxtaposition. But he was killing it. Even I was like, yeah. look at this guy. He's killing it. So, I, you know, God is, we have a creative God and he's made our bodies in wonderful ways. And it's nice to have all of this clothing that allows you to communicate something about your personality. Like, for instance, the last thing I'll say about this, and we can move on, I promise, is because I wear glasses, I have this strong conviction that like, let your glasses be an extension of your character. Like get fun glasses, get like interesting glasses, get the things that make you comfortable, yeah. but also say something. They're like a statement piece, not obnoxious, but they're a statement about who you are. That's my personal conviction. So I just love eyeglasses and I always want something that's a little bit more interesting. And we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah. I uh, can confirm that Stitch Fix does not carry kilts. So... If you're trying to go the Stitch Fix route to develop your style and kilts are That's part kilt of that, uh, then yeah, I mean, there's this is like a missed market opportunity. I feel like I need a, I need yeah, someone to tell me is. what kind of kilt I should wear. I don't I don't understand how to pick a kilt. Listen, we got brothers and sisters in Scotland. We do. So we do, Daniel. If you're out there, and I know you are, I need you to help me find a kilt. We need you to step up, brother. We need that kind of. You need to start kilt fix. Like we need you to start a curation of kilts. So many alliterations in so little time already in this episode. I'm just picturing him getting really offended. This is like really tragic, like cultural appropriation that we've just committed. I'd like to apologize to the nation of Scotland for my gross misdemeanor. I don't know, whatever. I'm, yeah, but you know what also is, is great from the larger UK, Scotland in particular, is wool items. I mean, I know you have some like legit, like a driver's cap. I've yeah. you guys actually got me several years ago as a birthday gift, a wool driver's cap. That thing is amazing. Yeah, amazing. We yeah. so we need we need that in our lives. So somebody again, like if you've been listening for 360 episodes, you know, like we are just an unstoppable idea machine. Like we got all kinds of things that we should have copyrighted a long time ago. Business we should start it. So just chalk this up to kill sticks. Somebody start that. It's true. I just looked up a kilt on um, Amazon and it also suggested to me in items you might need, it also suggested a sword. <laughs> it also suggested a sword to me. So I feel like Amazon knows what it's doing. Yeah. I think that's the kind of curation I would expect. So now that's not a question of just what it like, do you need a sword? It's what kind of sword? What really is the sword that you need both practically speaking and and for style. That's true. That's true. Well, Jesse, I think we're on your affirmation. What are you affirming? We are. Let me try to wrap us up fairly quickly here. So I'm just doubling down, not double, well, kind of doubling down, but it's been a while since I went on like a music affirmation. So I'm sneaking in too. The second one will be really quick. I promise the first one has a little bit more background. So in my local church, every year there's a women's retreat, which is coming up this weekend. It really is an amazing time. My wife is involved in preparing for it and helping lead it. So this is why I have like the inside scoop, but it's a couple of days at our church where women are receiving teaching, 
they're praying, they're uh, praising God, they're having fellowship. It's a delightful time. And for whatever reason, in planning this, and they plan it basically all year long, they, they have really such a sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit in this time they're going to put together. There's nothing haphazard about it. And so they decided this year to center the theme on Psalm 90. If you're familiar with Psalm 90, in that psalm, we're basically looking down the double barrels of both the contingency of man juxtaposed with the everlasting nature of God and then God's wrath. But as is common in the scriptures, in the midst of all that, there is great comfort for his children. That happens in verse 14, which has really become like the center of gravity for the entire theme for this retreat. I was going to read it real quick. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. This is that famous Psalm that inquires of us to number our days, that it kind of gives us this sense that we ought to worship God, even in the midst of his wrath, to come beneath him and to submit to him. And then we find this great comfort. So this is all prolegama for me saying, one of the things I admire about my church is that in this instance, as they're putting together this theme, we just thought, why don't we write some music for this? You know, this is a, a women's retreat, which is going to be only unique to our congregation. This theme has been developed in the minds and the hearts of these ladies who are leading it, that women will be impacted by this message of the steadfastness of God, how he renews us because of his steadfastness and his everlasting nature. And so we, the musicians came together and we wrote a piece of music uh, based on Psalm 90. No creativeness. It was just, let's take Psalm 90. And the chorus is all wrapped up in verse 14. And then the verses are taken from various sub subsections of this text, almost verbatim. Nice. There is a little bit of rhyming meter that goes into them. But beyond that, it is exactly as um, this, the scripture unfolds for us. Cut to exclusive psalmody. All those people are like, yes, finally. So <laughs> here's where the affirmation comes in. It's a little bit twofold. First is, in your local congregation, would you do me a favor? And this is a little bit self-serving. Would you encourage your musicians? Uh, it's okay to say thank you, and I'm sure they're putting in time to prepare. The second part of that would be, you might also encourage them to consider, because I bet many of them are super talented and very creative, to write music from the scriptures that serve a particular purpose in the particular life of the church. If your pastor is going through a theme or a topic or a series or a book, consider inviting your musicians to collaborate with him to write music just for your congregation. Maybe it's just a, a little chorus. Maybe it's just a little refrain. It allows you after the preaching of that word to echo that in song and in voice. I think that is lovely. So I think it's worthwhile to encourage your musicians in your church and above and beyond that to say, would you maybe consider this incredible idea of at times when it's appropriate to write something just for us? Because there's lots of music that you can pull from, but it's all being written in a particular stream. It's being written for a particular time. It's being written for particular people. There's nothing wrong with taking those songs and making them your own. There's also something special. And your musicians may need a little bit of encouragement with that because there are a few things in life that are exposing you to kind of vulnerability as writing music and then putting it in front of others. Yeah. So they might need that kind of encouragement. So I'll pause there. Your wife is a great part of the music ministry that happens at your church. So I'm, I'm guessing that you can resonate with, with what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been able to assist with that for a long time, but I know even, even though we don't have to put a ton of extra time in, cause we are doing relatively simple songs and Ashley and I have been playing music together for a long time. So we don't, we don't have to like get into each other's groove in terms of the the style and the way we're playing, but it takes effort. Even when all you're doing is, is 
getting to the service an hour, hour and a half early to practice the music. It takes effort. It takes uh, a certain level of skill. It takes some mental preparation. So yeah, I'm all about that. Encourage your musicians, encourage those who, who assist the congregation in coming into the Lord's presence in, in song. Um, whether that's a person who's just kind of conducting the congregation. I know some churches are, are committed to doing acapella song. Other churches are using instruments. Um, wh- whoever it is, some, somebody is, facilitating the music. Um, right. and, and that, that facilitation of the music is itself a, a musical act, right? Even, even the person who's conducting and is helping the congregation to keep time, that person is engaged in musical activity. So take some time to say, thank you. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. And I would love it if we had bandwidth and if your church has the bandwidth to write some right. music for your congregation, that's phenomenal. That's great. Right. It's, and it's possible that musicians have never thought of themselves that they could do that. So if you say like, listen, I think we would love for you to just consider that idea yeah. as it's, as you have time and collaborate together, there's been a great, I think it's such a special thing. We've done this a couple of times. It's such a special thing to have the people of God worship together in a way that's like absolutely unique is rooted in the scriptures yeah. and is particularly tied to something that's being taught or experienced in the life of your local congregation. Yeah. It's just lovely. It is this idea of sing to the Lord a new song. And it may be that God is calling us sometimes to make that new song. And I think sometimes people need to know, like, you don't need to be Chris Tomlin. To write. Maybe you shouldn't be Chris Tomlin Please sometimes. Don't be Chris to Tomlin. I mean, unless you're Chris Tomlin, then be Chris Tomlin. Yeah, right? exactly. Do do better than that, though. But yeah, you're you're totally right. I think... As long as you're not writing songs about God's great dance floor, then then have at it. Yeah, I agree. One last thing that just ties with this. It's been a while since I've given like a straight music affirmation. So I've got to do this one because it's it's new music. I like to throw it out there for the brothers and sisters. So if you're looking to, for some new hard music, so the band War of Ages, they have 10 studio albums, actually from Pennsylvania originally. They've been around since 2002. They just released September 15th a new album called Dominion. So this is Christian metal, but it's exceptional. And it's exceptional both from like a musical standpoint. The the lead guitarist, Steve Brown, is so creative. This is the kind of album I listen to and I found myself involuntarily smiling at different times because I was just like, <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that makes me never want to touch my own guitar ever again. And if that wasn't good enough, the best part of it is this album is so worshipful. It's all power. It's all praise. There's revelation. There is like literally stuff from the book. Hang out before God. I think you'll just find it encouraging. So definitely go check out War of Ages new album, Dominion. They're on Face Down Records, which could be like the best name of a record label ever. So there you go. Double barreled music affirmation. You know what song I just smile when it comes on? What song? Pancake Robot. Now, now Apple Music thinks I want to listen to that. So, so when I turn on the car, that's what syncs up to my Bluetooth every time, every time, and I, I don't turn it off. I always listen to it at least once before I, I correct it's my good, phone right? to play. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's really good. It's like a it's a walk down arpeggio in the chorus with the all you can eat yum yeah. yum, all you can eat yum yum. I mean, if people don't know what I'm talking, what we're talking about, I don't know what you're talking just about, go, but... j- yeah, just go take a look or listen to Harry Grip. Uh, pancake robot. Yeah. It is is good. What I'm afraid of, I'll be honest with everybody right now. Here's what I'm afraid of. At the end of the year, I use Spotify. At the end of the year, I'm going to get a report <laughs> of everything I've listened to. It's going to be a year wrapped up. 
And at this point, uh, you know, I only just discovered the song, as you all well know, if you've listened to us for a little while. And at the end of the year, I'm worried about how many times Spotify is going to tell me. Like, I don't know that I don't think that could be the top song, but I have no way of knowing where it is in the count. But it's the, the thing is, what's funny you say this, Tony. I just <laughs> I'm just gonna make this embarrassing. <laughs> Before recorded, I listened to it. I'm by myself at home <laughs> because I, I that was my information a couple weeks ago. Like, it's just brilliant and it's melody and it's just fun. But God has made music fun for us. Yeah. So the fact that and it's just so innocent. It's celebrating technology and griddle cakes. Yeah. I mean, I was gonna say, I think you're you're messing up your algorithm, but actually, I think maybe you're fixing your algorithm. Is really it's what's going it's on. possible. It wants to pay, play me all kinds of paragraph songs. That's how. And a brother recommended the taco song, Black Hamster. I got addicted to Black Hamster today. Have you listened to that one yet? Yes, Black yes. Hamster is phenomenal. Yeah, it's 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 all good. Really, the only thing better than this is prayer. It's so true. we probably should should talk about that. And yeah. I figured, why don't why don't you let me read? The last part of our Lord's prayer, and depending on what your version of the scriptures you're reading from, and I hope you'll join us there if you go to Luke, uh, Luke, John chapter 17. We'll probably talk about Luke, but we're actually in John chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 22. This is kind of the last section. It's the Lord's prayer is often divided into these three sections. And this one sometimes is titled something like their future glory or the, the glory of the disciples. So beginning in verse 22. Uh, Jesus says this as he's praying, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. We'll just let that sit for a second. Yeah, that's the kind of scripture that that absolutely needs needs to breathe. And I, I think this is where we we kind of ended on, we spoke about, Jesus at the beginning of this is requesting that he may be glorified to, in order to bring further glory to the Father. Jesus requested that glory, the glory which was rightfully his from the beginning, that he was about to earn this glory at the price of the cross. And then, of course, we spent a good deal of time speaking about him accomplishing his earthly task of revealing the Father to his disciples, that our Lord assumed the consummation of his ministry and the work of the cross. And that this prayer is based upon the fact that those for whom he prayed were true believers. And so then we find ourselves more or less at the end here. And to me, this amazing wrap up of all the places that Christ could go, all the things that he could plead for and ask and petition the Father, where he comes to is this idea of unity. And it's more than just praying generally for all the believers, but wrapping around this request in that they would be completely unified yeah. and that this unification would in some ways exemplify all the other promises he's asked God to fulfill up to that point. Yeah. One of the things I think um, sometimes I hear when people are talking about prayer, they draw sort of this distinction between corporate and private prayer. We certainly are doing that. But a lot of times what I hear is like, 
corporate prayer is where like the unity of the body is. And private prayer is really more about like your individual relationship with right. God. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this when we were going through the, the disciples prayer, the model prayer itself. When you pray your private your private prayer and you're praying the prayer that the Lord has given to us, you're praying our father. So this distinction between like unity in public prayer and then sort of like individuality in corporate prayer, it really doesn't check out. Like it doesn't fit. And Christ's prayer here is a, is a perfect example of that. Obviously, as we said, Christ's prayer in John 17 is unique in that it is the, it's the Lord's prayer. It's, this is a prayer that none of us could pray, right? We couldn't pray this verbatim and be, be honoring God because we would be blaspheming. But the fact that a large portion of Christ's prayer here in John 17 is about first his unity he has with his father and with the spirit, right? And then he grounds the unity that he has with his disciples with the unity he has with the father and the spirit. And then he wants to draw the disciples. And then in this last portion, all of the believers who would come to faith through the words of the disciples, he wants to draw them into that unity with the father, right. and the son and, and himself or the father, the spirit and himself but he's he's driving towards unity throughout the whole prayer. The, the prayer starts with unity and it ends with unity. And our prayers should, in a very real sense, follow that pattern, right? Mm -hmm. we, we should be, I mean, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts off our Father, right? So it's 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 a corporate-oriented private prayer. And then it ends um for thy, you know, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Like right. the kingdom is a unifying concept. So again, it's bookended by this concept of unity in the Lord's prayer, in the, the model prayer, the same way that this prayer or in a similar way that this prayer is, is bookended by starting with the, the unity of God, the unity of the Trinity, driving to the unity of the church and showing how those things connect. Our prayers should take a very similar shape most of the time. If right. we ever find ourselves praying in a way that is not... Um, I'm trying to be careful how I say this because I don't want to be legalistic, right? Your your prayers are your prayers. Like there's no specific prescribed pattern of prayer in the Bible. We give it a model, but it doesn't say only pray this way or pray, pray specifically in this structure all the time. But if your prayers are um, at the very least, if they're not oriented towards the unity of the church, oriented to the unity of the Holy Spirit, if you're ever praying in a way where you abstract God from being our father as the father of right. all believers. If you ever abstract God away from that to be just my father, that's a major problem for prayer. It's a big problem for prayer. And I think that's not to say you don't ever pray to God individually and use individual language, right? You might say, oh, my father in heaven. Like you might say that, but if if in your motivation, your intentions, you're abstracting God to be just your God and not the God of the church, not the God of all believers, that is a particular problem. And it doesn't line up with the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't line up with this prayer. And that should give you some pretty pretty big pause before you continue. And we see sometimes that kind of manifested in this modern notion of, you know, well, it's, it's about relationship and not religion. Right. And sometimes that is to differentiate this fact that, well, relationship is personal and private and one-on-one. -on -one. Religion has this kind of ephemeral transcendent purpose. And I, I think that could be like a red herring here because really what God is after is, I, I like what you said, he's emphasizing that even in this private time, you're always oriented in a public sphere, that you're thinking about the family of which you belong to. You are one person part of that family, but there's never this dislocation from the family of God itself. Right. 
And I think we talked about this before, but it bears repeating in this context that it's really vital that we have to recognize by way of this prayer, this vast difference between like unity and uniformity. Yeah. You know, unity is best demonstrated in diversity. Uniformity is threatened by diversity. And so our Lord chose as disciples these men, these wild men who are radically different in temperament and personality and even like political philosophy. It was because of their glaring differences that the unity was so evident. And so here is Jesus really coming on this in this prayer and expressing that need. And by the way, I mean, we have so many distinctives of the Christian religion right now in this prayer, this being in Christ, what it means to grow in Christ. And then because we are all together in Christ, we are all together. There is that family in Christ praying that we understand the fullness of that unity. So that Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians in chapter or chapter 12 of the first book, he's teaching that diversity is not opposed to unity. It is essential to it. I mean, how could the body function rightly if every member were an eye or an ear or a mouth? Yeah. So true unity demands that diversity and diversity plays, uh, displays true unity. So I think this is what's wild to me is if unity is not to be found in uniformity is to be seen in union. And I think that's why Christ says in earshot for us all to hear and to be recorded for posterity, for us to meditate on and to see his example. He says, I in them, I love this order, I in them, them in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you loved me. This is like amazing contingency, isn't it? Yeah. When Christ is saying, like, fulfill this promise, which is that this unity will show that God the Father loves God the Son, because the message, the good news, which the gospel that Jesus delivers to us is so unifying that tr transcends all open-handed issues, ethnicities, cultures, languages, all of this comes together so that we see Christ as the head because he is seen as the true son who is high and lifted up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this prayer is so rich in terms of the, the, uh, we talked about this last week, so I don't want to belabor the point, but it's so rich in terms of the, the sort of intersection between theology proper and between ecclesiology, right? And I think there's a lot to be said in theology that hasn't been said about how the church, um, I want to be careful because I don't want to stray into like weird EFS kind of stuff, but how the church reflects the unity of the Trinity, right? The, the, right. the right. church is a picture on earth of the unity of the Godhead. Um, and th that's precisely what Christ says here, right? He says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them so that they may be one, even as we are one. So, so Christ is saying to his father that the church will be one, that the people of right. God Amen. will be unified, even as, or likewise, the way I am unified with you. Now there's a, there's a profound mystery there, right? Because we are never going to, like the church never shares a single nature, right? It's not, it's not as though there's some like platonic ideal church out there and that we all participate in that church nature or something crazy like that. Although I've heard people say stuff like that, but there's something about the way the church is constituted and the way that the church, uh, you know, the church is one body with many members. There's something about that that reflects the unity of the Godhead in a profound way. And I think prayer, whether it's private prayer or corporate prayer, I think prayer may be 
the place, if you want to use that language, may be the place that that is most real, right? right. Because, because when we pray, if we're praying rightly, we are not only praying for ourselves, which is totally fine and appropriate to do, but we are praying for and with, if you think about this, when you're beseeching the Lord, when you're coming and petitioning the Lord, you're praying with probably thousands, if not millions of other Christians simultaneously. Now you're not all praying, you know, together in that you're aware of each other's prayers and that you're you're somehow like unified in a explicit sense. But there is never a time when the the capital C church is not praying in its multitude, in its right. plurality. There's always thousands, if not millions of Christians that are praying to God at any given time. And so I think there is this sort of like radically unifying character to prayer that Christ's prayer here really does highlight. It's not just because he's praying for unity, but he's demonstrating that unity and particularly unity in prayer is just, it just is what the church is. Exactly. That is the nature of the church, that it is a church who is in fellowship and communion with the triune God and therefore with each other in a very real, deep, intimate, in the most holy sense of the word kind of way that I don't think there's enough theological reflection on in, in our theology these days. That is the critical point because it's not, as you're saying, like Jesus is praying with fingers crossed, like, Father, would you please bring them together? They're right. very difficult and diverse people. Would you just emphasize to them that what he's actually stating is just the expression of the first principle of the church, that it is unified through him by the power right. of the Father. So in many ways, I almost think this prayer was recorded for all of us to be like, get on board, everybody. Right. Like, this is the way it is. There's yeah. no debate. It's unequivocal. It's full stop. So the unity of the Trinity is a unity of being, of essence and purpose. And we are the children of God by faith if we dwell in God, God and he dwells in us. There is then the essential unity between the believer and God and also between one believer and every other. It's just fact. Right. So I almost feel like Jesus is saying, get on board, everybody. Yeah, This is actually reality. And the more that we understand that as he prays this for us, as he expresses it with open voice, that we're to come along inside and say, huh, so if that is the way it actually is, then my behavior must fall, yield, submit, comport with, however you want to say it, with this reality that Jesus is telling us the truth about the way the world really is, no matter how we perceive it or think it to be. And when we come underneath this prayer and then we start to pray it ourselves, God, would you make me at unity and peace with my brothers and sisters, both here in my local congregation and throughout the world? I do think this changes us. This prayer comes and it reads us rather than us reading it. Because what we see is just God echoing the truth about the world. And it's a vitally important matter. You know, here we have Jesus praying and in the last moments, I mean, really the, the waning hours of his earthly ministry, what he comes to is that the way Christians are going to be identified in the world is not if everybody does their own thing, not if we somehow import these values of personal independence and liberties above all else. The mark here is real Christian community. Yeah. And the mark of that community is in unity. Again, not uniformity, not becoming like every other person, not dressing the same or saying the thing, same things, using the same language or liking the same music or wanting to sing the same songs, but not even in spite of all those things, because of all those things, finding ourselves 
so thoroughly supernaturally bonded together in a familiar kind of way that really the outside world is like, this is wild. There, there's no reason these people should be together, yeah. should be friendly with one another, should be loving towards each other, should sacrifice and yield submit to each other because they seemingly on the face have nothing together in common except that we have the same first brother who goes before us, who saves and redeems us. And then when you get to verse 24, you have Jesus himself praying for this grand reunion that he's going to be led away to trial and execution. And after his ascension, he's no longer going to be physically walking around his people until they were reunited with, reunited with him. And then he prays for that reunion. So in some ways, like he's click dragging and dropping the future, which is to say like, some, sometimes I do think about this because somebody challenged me with this once. Like do this sometimes when it's the Lord's day, look around and I'm sure there are people in your church that just rub you the wrong way. They just annoy you, different personalities, whatever it is. That's my case. Maybe I'm the only one. And then I'm quickly brought to this thought. I will be together forever yeah. with these people. Yeah. Forever. And part of that is because God has secured that. And then he's praying for that here. He's saying like the reunion is coming and you're going to be together forever with these people. So in some ways, I feel like he's saying, start behaving like you understand that now, because yeah. I prayed for it. I've set it up for you. You've heard these words. It's important that you actually ingest this into your life now and change how you think and pray and behave in accordance with that truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the last, um, sort of characteristic of prayer that I think maybe we can pull out of this is Christ is just as we've been saying, he's praying, he's petitioning, he's seeking God for something that is actually already true. So exactly. there's an element of prayer, um, and actually I was writing in my journal about this the other day. There's an element of prayer that is, um, it's not necessarily asking God for things that he hasn't already given you or exactly. isn't already giving you. We talked about this with the give us this day our daily bread, right? God is already providing for all people at all times in the way that he sees fit. So it's not as though in most cases we're asking God to do something that he's not already doing. And I think this prayer calls that out, right? He's he's talking about how um, he's praying to the Lord, asking him to, to indwell the people of God in the way that Christ has indwelled, is indwelled by the Father, right? And we have to be careful because it's not as though Pentecost is just like a show. It's not, it's not just for show, right? Something, something real and different happened at Pentecost. Um, the way that the Holy Spirit indwells people and the church, the experience of that, at the very least, we can say the experience of that and the subjective appropriation of that is different following Pentecost than it was prior to Pentecost. We could get into all the debate as to whether Old Testament saints were indwelled by the Spirit or not. I think they were, but I, the arguments that they were not are, are valid arguments. They, they make sense. But it's not as though the Holy Spirit was absent from the church in the Old Covenant. It's not as though the Holy Spirit was absent from the people of God in the Old Covenant. Um, and what he's asking for is, is not that the Spirit would bring about a unity among his people that did not exist. There exactly. is a mystical unity in the people of God that has always existed. And there's a um, a 
don't know, conceptual might not be the right word, but that's what I've got right now. There's a conceptual unity in the mind of God in eternity past regarding God's people. So it's not as though Christ is asking God to change course, right? He's not asking God to start doing something that wasn't already his intention, that intention that he isn't already doing, and that isn't part of his plan. And that in itself should also help to orient us towards what our prayers are for. We should not ever be asking God to be or do something that he already is not or is not already doing. Because first of all, that's really presumptuous to, to ask the perfect, infinite, unchangeable God to somehow change for our needs, whether that's a change in being or change in action or change in status, that, that doesn't make any sense. And so we have to read all of what Christ has said in light of that reality, but I think it reinforces that. Christ is, is asking God to glorify him with the glory that he already had. It's not like he's saying, well, I wasn't glorified, so make sure you glorify me. It's God glorify me with the glory that I had in your presence before the beginning of the ages, right? It's continue to do perhaps in a different subjective um, experience for the people of God, but continue to do what it is you have been doing and are doing and will be doing for all eternity. Yeah, there's so much in this that we talked about how Jesus really was just praying the promises of God, which is this is, I think, the important thing. It's, it's. I almost say it this way. This is going to be a little bit of this prayer. I think is really way more for us at this point than it is oh, for yeah. Jesus. In the sense that, again, it's being recorded. It's being said out loud, so that when we see our Lord and Savior, who is one with the Father, praying these things on our behalf, what we come to understand is that they are already firmly established. And even if for some reason we try to conceive a world where they weren't firmly established up to this point, we know that God loves the Son so much that He gives the Son whatever it is that He desires right. because there is unity in the Godhead. So this fa- this prayer is filled with presuppositions. A prayer such as this one cannot be made apart from several premises. First of all, it assumes that the sovereignty of God in, the, in salvation and the keeping of men. True believers are those who belong to the Father and are given to the Son. And we see that if you're given to the Son, you're given to this family, and the unity and the bond is already secured. So again, it's a little bit more like behave like it is. Yeah, Their salvation is procured by the work of the Son, in which we believe once saved by God, men are kept and preserved by Him also, that God, again, doesn't deliver up the baby to be left on the doorstep. There's no more comforting thought than our salvation rests securely in the hands of God. God does all the verbs. He promises, he fulfills, and then we stand on those promises and we repeat them back in prayer in our own voice, sometimes out loud, so we can hear the gospel with our own ears in our own voice so that we recognize, not that we would say again, God, would you do this for me because I would like it, but would you do this because you promised? Yeah. And in that promise, we find great security. So prayer is, again, most of the time, like repeating these promises, I think of, you know, John saying, Listen, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you all sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, that duality, not just like absolution, but a true righteousness being restored, a cleansing that comes within uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. We can pray confidently, not like, God, I really hope that you would do this, but you have promised that you would do this. And so I pray those things because I know they're true. And therefore I call upon you to fulfill the very thing which you said that you will do. And we just find that here. I think that mainly the, the, the conflict here in us is just that we hear this, we have a tin ear toward it because we think about prayer as like petition primarily. 
And as if like Jesus is saying, like this would not be accomplished unless I didn't step forward right in this moment. Right. All he's doing is like saying, like you said, from eternity past, this has always been the truth. I would say it like this, reveal to your people that this is the way it is. And then would you empower them to love each other in unity so that your name and mine is lifted up in glory. That is Jesus himself lifted up in glory because the mark of God's people is the unity of God's people in Christ. Like not alongside, not with, not over or underneath, but in Christ. Yeah. That kind of mystical union has existed before eternity passed because God is a good, a good God and he does all the verbs. But this is more about, I think, us realizing that our Savior has prayed this. He gives it hegemony and that we probably do not place it in a place of priority in the way that we live and often think. Yeah. That's the challenge that's before us. Yeah. Well, Jesse, we um, we often say this, and it is always true, that we could continue to discuss the scriptures for a significant amount of time. So we're going to keep doing that next week when we come back. We're going to be going through some other scriptural prayers. We've got a couple more weeks of this. Uh, if you're finding this helpful, then let us know. You can join us uh, in our Telegram chat, Reform Brotherhood, uh, sorry, t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. Um, hop in there. Let us know. Is this helpful? Is it not helpful? Um, do you hate us? Do you love us? I hope you don't hate us, but, uh, you know, you can also wow. go to iTunes and, uh, leave a, re a review for us. Um, we do read those. We are encouraged by them. Sure. Even when they're, uh, not super happy reviews, we learn from them. Uh, and then you can also, if you go to reformbrotherhood.com, there's a little uh, thing up in the top that says join the brotherhood. Uh, some of those ways that are listed there aren't valid anymore, but there's a couple things you can do. You can buy some merch, you can uh, join our Patreon. There's a couple things you can do there. And all of our back episodes are available through the website as well. If you do want to embark on a crazy 365 day challenge, I suppose you don't need to wait to do that now because it's only like, what That's is true. that? Like, 20, uh, 35 more days before you would have a full year. So you could start now and you would catch up eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's lots of ways to get involved. There's lots of ways to, to enjoy the show and to support the show. And, you know, I think a lot of shows say this and I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to make commentary on whether they mean it or not, but I definitely mean it when I say that we appreciate the prayers of God's people for the show. Right? Yeah, for sure. We're we're very aware and intentional not to position this as some sort of like capital M ministry. Like this is this is a podcast and we hope it's edifying. We hope that it supports the church. We hope that it glorifies God. But it does take some work and it does take some effort. And we appreciate the prayers of God's people. We think that the show is beneficial to people, so we want to keep making it. And a major part of, I think, why that is is because God's people are supporting it in prayer. So it, it sounds, sometimes feels a little corny to say that, but it really, really is true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just so people know that we do read all the reviews. We had a couple of reviews, actually. Well, a little bit more than that that happened in May of this year. And uh, they are very different. So I'll, I'll read them very quickly. So <laughs> we, we have one that says uh, zero out of 10 garbage. And the comment is read Aquinas, get some perspective. <laughs> I received that word. I received yeah. that word. And then we have a second one that's five stars. It says, I always look forward to tuning into the conversations every week. Accessible theology with great applications. One of the best parts of my week. So there you go. We understand this is how it is when you put yourself out onto the interwebs. 
But yeah, if you're so inclined, you're more than welcome to, to leave a review. I would say more than anything, get involved, hang out, let us know you're out there, join the Telegram group, chat with some brothers and sisters, share the episode with a friend, start a book club, start a prayer meeting together, go to the prayer meeting at your church, whatever it is. We definitely don't want this podcast to be an excuse for you to actually delve few, like more deeply into self and to be more separated or dislocated from the people of God. If anything, what we found in the, all of these prayers is that we ought to also always have a mindset, like a keen eye toward the family of God, even as we pray alone, that they're never far from our minds or our hearts or our lips. So in that spirit, go get out there, loved ones. Use the podcast. You can you can use me as an excuse to be like, listen, this is some weird guy named Jesse, and he really challenged us to go to prayer meeting, meet new people, talk to the family of God, get involved look up and around when we're taking the Lord's Supper to realize that we're doing this together as a family at the table. Whatever it is, you can use me as an excuse to say, I know this is awkward, but it's his fault. And I figured I'd give it a try. So go ahead and do that. Tony and I are happy to be the people that you blame for doing whatever like the awkward or seemingly awkward, awkward social thing is to get more involved in the family of God. It's true. Well, Jesse, with that in mind, getting involved in the people of God, the best way to get involved in the people of God is to love everyone Wait, I just screwed it up. I always am afraid I'm going to do that. I'm not even going to edit this out. I got distracted. I was all I was all excited about my clever segue. Pride comes before the fall. It was it was so good though, and you noticed like the shock. It's like you didn't even notice. You were like, "Wait, that doesn't feel right." But yeah, I was just going to say honor everyone. Honestly, there's a lot of good truth in there. But let's do it this way: honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. What if I'm part?